You're listening to AIB Market Talk with our latest financial market update. Hello, welcome to this week's update. I'm in London this morning on the 11th of March, and I'm joined this morning by Oliver Mangan, our AIB's chief economist, and I'm delighted to introduce our special guest, Alpes Palaja, principal economist at the UK's Confederation of British Industry. This week, we'll be talking about the multiple Brexit votes happening this week, their impact on UK economic growth, FX and interest rates. Good morning, gentlemen. You're both very welcome. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, turning to you, Ollie, first, you know, 17 days to go to Brexit, and industry just wants a definitive outcome. So they can get on with planning. You know, we don't don't really mind at this stage whether it's good, bad or indifferent. We just want certainty. With three scheduled votes this week, will they get it? Well, there's a lot of uncertainty. Here we are on Monday. We don't know what's going to happen in the next two or three days. The plan is Tuesday. People are listening to this. We will see uh, a vote in terms of whether the UK Parliament votes to accept the withdrawal agreement. If that is voted down, the following day we'll have a vote in terms of do they want to avoid a hard no-deal Brexit. And uh, if that is the mood of the par- Parliament, then on Thursday there will be a vote in terms of do they want to delay Brexit beyond the 29th of March. Uh, but there's still considerable uncertainty uh, about whether any of those votes will be held. There obviously hasn't been much progress in terms of the, pro- of the talks with the EU. So we're still in the stalemate situation. You're asking for certainty. I'm afraid we are getting very close to the exit date and we still don't have any certainty. Okay, so a huge disappointing for industry. And, and if we do lose the vote on Tuesday, which is the meaningful vote as yet to be had uh, um, and won, sorry, uh, Will we move ahead with the other votes during the course of the week where hard Brexit uh, will be taken off the table? Because that would allow some level of comfort across uh, industry. Well, I think we already had a vote in Parliament a couple of weeks ago, which more or less took a hard Brexit off the table. I think but only 20 MPs voted for a hard Brexit. So I think if the vote is uh, defeated on um, if the vote goes ahead on Tuesday, we'll certainly have the votes on Wednesday and Thursday. The question is whether that vote will go ahead on Tuesday or not, because it looks like the Prime Minister is suffering or heading for another major defeat, and she doesn't want another one. So she may well delay further here. Um, there is an EU heads of state summit coming up uh, next week. And there's some talk that if the UK wants a delay, it won't be for two or three months, that, the, that, that the, what the EU wants to avoid is this continuous hard cliff uh, exit scenario where they keep, the UK just keeps deferring and deferring, deferring, deferring. So there's some speculation that if they leak, if the UK wants an extension to Article 50, it could be for as long as 21 months. Ooh, that won't go down very well with Brexiteers, will it? No. Uh, so we're in a very uncertain environment. And the thinking behind that then is Theresa May comes back maybe next week or very close to the 29th of March and says to Parliament, here's the two offers on the table. We accept the withdrawal agreement and leave more or less on time or we go for a long delay to Brexit. And the question is, what would those who favour leaving the EU do in those sort of circumstances? Would those um, DUP and those members of the uh, Conservative Party row in and say, well, it's better to secure Brexit anyway? Um, and we'll, about the details, we can thrash that out afterwards in discussions with the EU. Well, Tony to Alpish, Ireland's indigenous industry is hugely dependent on the performance of the UK economy. You know, we have uh, still huge levels of uncertainty here. How well is UK industry prepared for all the potential outcomes that are still on the table? Yeah, I mean, you're right in saying that uncertainty is still very high at the moment, and that is very much weighing on corporate activity when we look at things like investment, we look at plans for expansion. Um, In terms of how prepared businesses are, I mean, contingency planning is very much something that's on the mind 
um, of U- of UK business. Uh, in a survey that we ran last week, around half of companies said that they'd carried out at least some of their contingency plans, uh, and most of those plans seem to be based on a no deal scenario. Um, Those plans seem to be taking uh, a variety of forms. It's things like currency hedging, it's setting aside extra funds, uh, adjusting supply chains abroad, uh, and notably stockpiling. And stockpiling is something that does seem to have ramped up a lot in recent months. We've seen more evidence of companies stockpiling post-Christmas. It's coming across quite strongly in the CBI's business surveys. Um, And more and more of our members are are telling us that they are uh, building up inventory um, in preparation for a potential no deal. Um, It's actually unsurprising that that's happening now. I mean, as uh, as was flagged, I mean, we're so close to exit day. Uh, Warehouse space in the UK is actually quite limited. And prior to Christmas, it was likely that a lot of that space was filled up with Christmas stocks. And now that's out of the way. It's given a bit more uh, leeway for stockpiling with respect to Brexit. Um, That contingency planning, though, is obviously distracting for more productive activity, things like investment, things like uh, chasing demand, and we are starting to see the economic impact of that more clearly recently. Um, And indeed, you know, these sorts of things are very easy for sort of big companies to do, those who have the resource and the bandwidth to dedicate to no-deal planning. Uh, Obviously, SMEs are less prepared um, and are are less... um, in tune for what's sort of what's 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 likely to come down the road, and that would merit mirror our own uh, surveys in, in in Ireland, where we're finding that the the S in SME is definitely not spending a lot of management time or money preparing for it. It's going to very much be uh, reacting to uh, to uh, to events as they unfold. Uh, and, and then we saw some stats over the weekend from uh, Northern Ireland, Ollie, uh, in terms of their take on it. Well, obviously, people in Northern Ireland are particularly worried. There were pain polls ran uh, in the weekend newspapers, and they're showing that close to 70% of the the population there want to avoid a hard border in particular. Actually, 60% of them want to remain within the EU, uh, and they're very concerned about what a hard border would bring. I mean, the the Northern Ireland economy, obviously, Great Britain is its main export market. But there's a lot of cross-border trade with the Republic, particularly in the agri-food sector. A lot of people in Northern Ireland work in the Republic and vice versa, so freedom movement is very important. And for those border towns of both sides of the border, I mean, they have been regenerated as a result of the Belfast Peace Agreement um, 20 years ago because they now have their natural hinterlands back. So any form of physical border would, you know, cast, uh, you know, a lot of create a lot of concern for people living along the border in terms of daily activity, interacting with businesses on either side of the border, crossing over. As I say, the agri-food sector in particular is highly integrated. I mean, most of the milk produced in Northern Ireland is actually comes down south in containers in the morning, and then goes back up to the maybe that evening in terms of liquid milk into shops and what have you, or is processed in terms of cheese and goes on to the UK market. So there's a lot of movement back and forth. I mean, there's very good slaughtering facilities in, in Northern Ireland. So a lot of the cattle in Ireland are actually killed in Northern Ireland and then shipped into the UK. And, you know, it, it, we need to remember here, 40% of Irish indigenous exports, that's not the Republic, the firms, Irish-owned firms, 40% of their exports go to the UK. And from a UK point of view, the Republic is the fifth largest export market. So there's a lot of cross-border trade, not just between Northern Ireland and the Republic, but between the Republic and the UK. Well, that's a big number. The fifth, the largest trading partner of the UK. Yep. We import an awful lot from the UK. That's a a statistic maybe that I've missed. A lot of the UK retail outlets have major operations in in the Republic. Think of Tesco, think of Mark and Spencer. 
And if you're operating like a Tesco operation, you've one large warehouse in in the UK. It doesn't matter whether you're shipping to Dublin, to Glasgow, down to London. Uh, it's one market. It's treated as one market. So uh, even though we're known as a food producing nation, we actually import a lot of our food, uh, processed food from the UK. Okay, so it mirrors the supply chain we talked very heavily about in the UK. I mean, in the, in the manufacturing, motor manufacturing industry, the idea that you know a car would travel multiple times through the uh, the tunnel on the way to being uh, finished goods. Uh, so uh, it's it's a, it's a well, nightmare the for these guys. Here of, of, of the freedom movement of goods, I mean, it has major implications for British and Irish firms, uh, and you know, th- there's there's deep concern not just on political grounds but on economic grounds that we avoid a hard border as much as possible. Yeah. And presumably, you know, like the, the, the macroeconomic globally isn't great to be uh, considering anything like a hard Brexit in. Um, but there must be specific uh, items in the UK where firms have deferred uh, investment just for this. Not because of the global story, just because of the UK-specific story. Uh, Alpesh, any idea how much has been withheld in terms of a GDP? I don't know how you would express it, a GDP potential number maybe. Uh, and at what point... With that confidence return that we would see the purse strings being opened and some of this capital being deployed? Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the biggest impact in terms of Brexit uncertainty has very much been on business investment. Um, and that's been a consistent theme uh, coming across in the data and something our members have been telling us since the referendum in 2016. Uh, we saw spending plans deteriorate quite sharply in the CBI surveys just after the referendum, and they've been quite weak since. That actually took a little while to show up in the official data just because of various lags. Um, but actually, we are seeing that picture in the ONS data as well. I mean, business investment has fallen consistently for a year now on the ONS's measure, and that's very unusual Uh, for this stage of the economic cycle, bearing in mind that the UK itself has actually been growing. It's not been... um, It's not been growing very strongly, but but growth has actually um, held up. Um, And actually, it's very difficult to see that changing, even the event of a... Even in the event of a sort of a, a smooth Brexit, if you like, you know, the deal passing and a transition period, because there is still uncertainty remaining over the end state of the relationship between the UK and the EU. You know, we have to bear in mind that uh, a lot of these investments decisions are very long term. Uh, the returns are realised over a long period of time. Often they're directly linked um, to the UK's future relationship uh, with the EU and, and whatever nature. So this is not the starting point for uh, everybody calm down and we can start to see some normalisation. The withdrawal agreement, if it was accepted this week, is just the starting point of the next part of the negotiations and investment will be deferred to the end of that, which is back end of 2020. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, as I say, you need long term certainty and stability uh, for investment to come back online. One point that's worth bearing in mind, though, is that actually, actually, probably in the near term, we might see a little bit more of an uptick in investment than we were expecting, as I say, if that transition period is secured, just because there are actually a lot of uh, underpins to business investment at the moment, which are quite positive. Things like corporate profits, in aggregate at least, are actually growing quite strongly. Um, Our surveys don't really indicate that there's much spare capacity within firms. Um, and also, you know, the global environment, as you said, it's, it's not looking great. It's slower, but it, the global economy is still growing at a fairly healthy pace. Um, so we may, so, you know, as, as the near term uncertainty lifts, i.e. no deal is taken off the table, you may very well see uh, a bit more of an uptick 
uh, in business investment. But it's difficult to see that lasting um, as long as that long-term uncertainty um, over the UK, UK and EU relationship remains. So specifically sectors like uh, house building or something, is that, is that sort of areas that domestic demand is probably secured to a certain amount? It might be lower than expected, but there is a, an underlying 1% or 2%, 1.5% growth maybe f- that can carry on for two years. So they would start building again. Okay. Yeah. What, what other sectors might benefit in the short term? Um, I mean, uh, you know, it, it's clear that the sort of Brexit uncertainty is having a very widespread effect on the economy. You know, it doesn't seem to be limited to one sector. So in that sense, you could very well see a broad-based uplift, not just in terms of investment, but also activity as well. Um, but, you know, sectors that are very tradable um, are particularly being hit. So you've got areas of manufacturing, for example. Uh, we're hearing that, um, most recently, we're hearing that actually Brexit uncertainty is holding back the pipeline of work in areas like professional services and construction too. Um, so, as I say, those are the areas where you might see a bit more of an uplift. I mean, Oliver spoke about sort of agri-food as well. Um, that's not just an issue in Northern Ireland. That's an issue for the for the UK as, as a whole. Um, so we may very well see a little bit of an uplift just as that, you know, that, that sort of crippling constraint of near-term uncertainty alleviates. But then, you know, then we need to make progress on uh, the next stage of negotiations, i.e., uh, the UK and EU's future relationship. And as difficult as that was to put a shape on the week ahead of us, I'm now going to ask you to turn into your crystal balls, guys. Uh, Sterling's retreated from recent highs of 88.5 against uh, the euro and above 133 against the dollar um, over the course of the weekend, at the back end of last week, and coming into this morning, it, the market's opened uh, with the uh, Sterling a little bit weaker. Um, there's a lot of noise going to come out this week. And how do we filter for... What is the true underlying story? And I'm going to turn to you first, Ollie. We talked about FX rates, and then maybe Abish, I'll talk to you about interest rates. But you know, there's going to be headline after headline this week. What do you look for? What are the big big items here? Well, the the, the one real dial mover for markets is Stern has strengthened this year on expectations that a no deal Brexit is off the agenda. If the market began to suspect that was coming back onto the agenda, it would be very very um, negative for Sterling. Now, I think the mood of Parliament is uh, whatever we do, we're going to avoid this no deal hard Brexit. Uh, and I think that has helped to underpin sterling. It's, it's weakened a bit in the last uh, few days over the weekend, but it's still well up uh, you know, against the euro from where it started the year. And I say underpinning that is an expectation that some form of deal will be agreed or maybe a long delay, but we won't see the e- UK crashing out of the EU uh, without a deal uh, in the next couple of months. Um, so for sterling watchers, anything that would cause that story to unravel or change in terms of no deal being off the table is something that would be negative for the currency. I wouldn't say it have much upside from current levels. Uh, it has you know, gained a fair bit of ground in recent months. So I think a benign outlook or a benign scenario for Brexit has been priced in by markets, be it a long-term delay or Theresa May's withdrawal agreement being eventually passed. Uh, and then we have another uh, two years to see where we go in terms of uh, the future trade deal. So it's two years before we know anything really. Uh, uh, what, Mark Carney's going to sit down sometime in April, hopefully with some sort of uh, vision as to where we're off to or a, a direction of travel. Um, you know, I, I, unemployment rate in the UK is down. We're hearing stories of real, uh, real raise, where wage rises. What's, what's going through his mind at this time of year and as we head into the summer months? Yeah, again, I think, you know, Mark Carney probably has a very schizophrenic outlook for, for interest rates. Um, going forward, depending on what happens with Brexit. I mean, the story of our lives at the moment, there are sort of two outlooks, um, both for the economy and monetary policy, depending on what happens in the next few weeks. Um, 
as I say, in the event of a smooth Brexit, um, you know, the Bank of England have been quite vocal that monetary policy will need to be tightened a little bit further. So we will see a few more rate rises um, in the years ahead. The bank particularly are concerned with, as you said, you know, that that pickup in real wages that they very much have their eye on domestic cost pressures building and what that does to inflation two years ahead. Um it looks like actually the pace of those rate rises might be a bit slower than previously indicated. Um, a few MPC members have come out in recent weeks and and suggested that actually a slower tightening might be warranted. Mark Carney said something similar um, in his remarks to the Treasury Select Committee. So you know previously the bank were look, were sort of indicating around two to three, around sort of two rate rises a year over the next couple of years, and you know so it, so that could. That could reduce to one, if you like. Of course, in the event of a no deal, um, the bank have previously said, I mean, the official party line for the Bank of England is that rates could go either way, uh, depending on the balance of the hit to supply and demand. Obviously, a, a supply shock would warrant a tightening uh, in monetary policy because that would push up inflationary pressure. However, it's very difficult to distinguish between a demand and, and a supply shock um, in the near term. Uh, and indeed, again, at that same Treasury Select Committee hearing, Mark Carney uh, did sort of hint that it was more likely that that rates would be cut uh, uh, than than hiked in the event of a no deal. And again, those MPC members I spoke about seem to have corroborated that. So certainly you'd expect at least a pause from the Bank of England, um, if not uh, if not a cut in interest rates. But either way, you know, it, it does look like um, it does look like the Bank of England does does seem to have adopted a bit more of a dovish tilt recently. And that's echoing what we're seeing um, with other central banks around the world at the moment as well. Very good. Well, listeners, uh, it's a hell of a week coming up with a lot of uncertainty as we sit here in London on on Monday morning looking to the week ahead. Uh, The rates market is very much uh, looking uh, to uh, soft Brexit being confirmed and any movement away from uh, that in terms of the no deal coming back onto the table, the will of Parliament to take it off the pavement. If that was to fall away at all, then we see uh, sterling weaken substantially, potentially, uh, and interest rates in the meantime were waiting, 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 uh, and Mark Carney is going to react to uh, developments over the summer as he sees them. Uh, gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Thank you to our listeners. You can subscribe to AIB Market Talk on SoundCloud or the podcast apps for iOS or Android. Thanks for listening to the latest edition of AIB Market Talk. Allied Irish Bank's PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. First Trust Bank is a trademark of AIB Group UK PLC, authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority. Allied Irish Bank GB and Allied Irish Bank GB Savings Direct are trademarks used under licence by AIB Group UK PLC, authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority.